Good evening. Good evening. It's so great to see each and every one of you out here this evening. Certainly uh, encouraged to, to see you all. I know it feels like every time I'm up here, there is some sort of storm that blows through the area. It always seems like rain is in the forecast when I am scheduled to speak, but it is sunny out and certainly glad that you all are here. Certainly hope our time together can be uh, of an encouragement to you in some way this evening. I know uh, this series of Sunday nights this month, Roger has spent with Jason doing their, their chair series about lessons uh, looking at shepherding. And much like this morning, what, what Jason did, talking about the, the threats that, that sheep face, tonight's lesson in many ways is designed for us as sheep. Reminders for us as sheep, as, as those of us who are, are prone to, to sometimes wander, sometimes to, to lose focus of, of what we should be doing, where we should be be going, who we should be listening to. So with that in mind, this night, tonight is a, a lesson for sheep. I'd ask you to, to open your Bible or turn on your tablet so you can, can read along, and we're going to be beginning tonight in the book of, of Esther. We'll be jumping to the New Testament uh, in a little bit. We'll have some verses on the screen, but not every verse, so I would encourage you to follow along in your own Bible and your own reading, uh, starting there in the, the middle chapters of the book of Esther. Esther is in many ways a very heavy book, a, a lengthy book, a loaded book, perhaps you could say it. There's a, a lot of information, a lot of ways to, to take the information that is told in the account of Esther from the author. You can focus when you are reading, when you are learning, you are studying on, on many different aspects of it. You can focus in on the, the who's of the book. You can look at the main characters. You can, can identify with the people in our lives who, who may fit that same description uh, of an Esther, somebody who is a person of courage, who takes advantage of, of their opportunities, somebody who, who wins favor in the eyes of, of all that, that they see. We can identify in our lives, perhaps not as, as easily as a, from a collective standpoint as, as the Esthers in our lives, but the, the Mordecai individuals, the people who may not be clearly known to everybody, but we know them as those who have helped raise us, those who have helped push us, those who have helped prod us when we need to be prodded a little bit uh, to get us where we need to be going. We can identify with those characters, and, and certainly, uh, to some respect, we can think of those people in our lives who sort of play that Haman role, somebody who's always kind of there in the background who... Whether they actually are or not, it just seems in our mind that they just have it out for us and that they are only focused in on bad things happening to us. That may not always be the case, but we can certainly identify with those characters of the story. So we're not going to focus tonight on the who, which you can do at the book of Esther. You can read the book of Esther, you can go through it, and you can focus on the questions of, of why and, and, and how does this all happen? How do these series of events lead to this way? Why are these specific steps chosen? And you can get yourself all twisted in many different sorts of ways with the many different reasonings or thoughts or, or, or answers that, that you can come up with with that question. So with respect to keep us focused, with respect to, to keep us simple and, and, and focused in on our mission tonight, we're not going to look at the, the who's, we're not going to look at the, the what's, the why's, or the how's, but rather I would like to bring your attention to a where. The where of the book of Esther uh, is this phrase that I have up on the screen currently, at the king's gate, a phrase that is repeated time and time again in, in the middle chapters of the book of Esther, and I think it is here with this uh, repeated phrase, with this commonly referred to uh, phrase that we will read 
that there is a thread that maybe we can, can pull a bit. This at the king's gate or being in the proximity of the king that is so vital not just to the story of Esther in itself and learning and, and taking things out of it, but also threads that, that you can pull and you can see in, in the New Testament and the stories in your and my lives as well. So we will end there, but as I mentioned, we will be beginning here in the middle chapters of the book of Esther. Esther 2 Verse 5 is where we are given our introduction to one of these main characters, Mordecai. We are told that there was a Jew in Susa, the capital of the city of Persia. There was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. Verse 5 continues on to tell us that he was a Benjaminite. And verse 7 tells us that he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she neither had father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And you can keep reading there in chapter 2 through those, those next 10, 11 or so verses, and you can read what perhaps your title of, of chapter 2, the process of how the, the header over your chapter 2 book says, as, as mine does in the ESV here, that Esther is chosen queen, and you can read about that process. And then we come to verse 19, and verse 19 is that first time we see the phrase here, of Mordecai being at the king's gate. And I do think in this context, in verse 19 here, it is most likely telling us that this is his role, his, his job title. Uh, Esther has been chosen queen because of his relation. Perhaps he was given this position of the court position in the citadel of Susa. We don't know exactly for sure, but it was most likely that that is his job title there. So I don't want you, when we continue to, to read these things, not just to only have the, the focus of us hearing Mordecai's job title six, seven, eight, nine times. I think there's a thread that maybe we can, can pull a little bit more uh, there of, of being at the king's gate. So read with me, if you would, pick up in verse 21 of Esther chapter 2. Verse 21 of Esther chapter 2 says, In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on king Hasuerus. And it came, this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. And when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. And this is this first inner instance that we have here in the book of, of Esther of, of Mordecai being at the king's gate, if, if, in the proximity of the king, if you will. There's a distance, no doubt, from the king with him there at the king's gate, but Mordecai comes across this opportunity. He comes across this, this information. Is he going to share this information? Is he going to sit on this information, this opportunity, this choice that Mordecai has to make? What is he what is he going to do with this information about the, the saving uh, nature of the threat that is, is imminent for this king? And so he shares that information, as we just read, with Esther, who, who tells it to the king. And this issue, this problem, this threat is, is taken care of. And in our common sense, we would think that the most natural line of, of thinking would be that's where chapter 2 ends. We know chapter 3 begins with a promotion. Wouldn't it make sense uh, for us that that was a, a very noble thing for a, a court official, for somebody of a, a governmental role, so to speak, in, in that time? Wouldn't it make natural sense that somebody who does such a noble thing, would he would be the one that, that we read about getting the promotion in chapter 3? Well, that's not exactly the, the same thinking that the, the story here of, of Esther tells us. Because in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Now after these things... King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, 
the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set him on the throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow, did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And I want to pause here in verse 4, because while we don't have a ton of information of all that is going on in in Mordecai's life, what he is thinking, what he is, is doing in this period of time in his life, we don't have direct quotations as other stories of the Bible give us for, for those hints into to what those main characters are thinking. We get a brief glimpse here in verse 4 of chapter 3 and in a verse we didn't read in verse 11 of chapter 2 of the similar language that is used of, of Mordecai's life. We see in verse 4 of chapter 3 that while he is talking with his colleagues who are uh, giving this reverence or, or bowing down or paying homage to, to Haman, that they spoke to him day after day, and Mordecai and those opportunities and those circumstances and those instances, he did not interact with them. He did not give them that interaction that they were considering. That day-after-day language is very similar language to the actions of Mordecai in verse 11 of chapter 2, where it says, And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. These opportunities that, that Mordecai comes across in, in this stage of his life Day-to-day and everyday opportunities that, that he is facing, he is making choices. He is making decisions while he is here at the king's gate or in the proximity of the king, if you will. And so I wanted to, to point that out because I think that will make a, a whole lot of sense of, of where we're going to end up here. So pick back up in verse 5 of chapter 3, and it says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So, as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom. So not just does Haman now have it out for for Mordecai as an individual, Haman has it out for everybody who is like Mordecai, the entirety of his people. That is no doubt an important threat. The next verse, verse 7, gives us a timestamp of when this is, is taking place in the, the king's reign. It says it's the 12th year of his reign, which is important because uh, another verse that we skipped over in chapter 2 tells us that when Esther was becoming queen, it was in the 7th year of his reign. So in those 6, 7, 8, 10 verses that we just read, just looked at, we know that five years have, have taken place. But again, we don't have much context, much uh, example, much understanding of what it was that, that Mordecai was thinking, what he was facing during, during these times. So in many ways, if you had to sum up what, what Mordecai was, was doing here at the stage of his life at the king's gate or in the proximity of the king here in Esther chapter 2, in many ways you could say this was a, an in-between stage for, for Mordecai. Now Mordecai does not stay at an, an in-between stage for long. You can keep reading in chapter 3 of the book of Esther and see how Haman uh, is making good on his uh, desire to, to take out the people who are like Mordecai, and he meets with the king, and there's an agreement that is made at the end of chapter 3, and the, the 
king gives him the, the green light, gives him the thumbs up. And so you come to, to chapter 4 where Mordecai, at the beginning of chapter 4, is no longer in a, a state of, or a time of being in between things, but rather a low point, a very low point in the life of, of Mordecai. And we find here the verse 1 of chapter 4 says, And when Mordecai learned all that had been done, this planning that Haman was doing with the king for the destruction of the Jews, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And he went up to the entrance of the king's gate. Verse 3 tells us, And in every province... Wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So we are no longer at a time of, of in-between for, for Mordecai. We have a very clear indication of, of how he felt, of how his people felt at this time when he approaches the king's gate, when he is in the, the proximity of the king in this stage of his life. There is weeping and mourning. There is lamenting and sadness. There is sackcloth and ashes. And because of his going to the king's gate there, Esther, who is the queen, who is much closer in, in the proximity to the king, notices. So she sends her eunuchs out to, to talk with, with Mordecai because she sees that, that Mordecai is, is deeply, uh, she became deeply distressed because of, of Mordecai. And so verse 8 tells us that when Mordecai is having this conversation with these eunuchs, that Mordecai gave a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that their eunuch might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And so the eunuch who is named there went and told Esther and what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke and commanded him to go back to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. To be put to death, except to the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And so there are uh, the opportunity that, that, that Mordecai had in chapter 2, that opportunity now sort of in some ways has transitioned over to Esther. And is Esther with the one who is in that opportunity? She has a decision to make with, with this information that she has been given. There is... Uh, lamenting, she is being begged, she's being pleaded with by Mordecai that you've got, to, you've got to try something. She understands the importance it is to be within the presence of the king, to go to the king with a request, to ask something of the king. So she, no doubt, understandably, is, could be a, a bit hesitant. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to be able to, to approach the king for, for such a matter such as that. As she, she mentioned, at the, to be put to death is the threat they were facing if you go to the king and the king doesn't want to, to hear you. But you can keep on reading in verse four or chapter 4 and chapter 5 of how Esther does, after a lot of thought, after a lot of preparation, after a lot of planning, does approach the king. And in verse 3 of chapter 5, the king holds out his scepter to her and asks her what she would want. And so she has a, a feast with Haman and the king, the three of them. And in verse 9 of chapter 5, we read that Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. 
Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above all the other officials of the servants of the king. And then Haman said, even, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And then Haman and his friends and his wife make a plan to not just sort of the, the cherry on top for the low of the lows for this moment of Haman, not just as their threat of destruction and threat of, of end for Mordecai's people, but now there is a, a very specific, very direct threat for, for Mordecai's life himself by, by way of Haman. You've gone from the in-between points to the lowest of the lows with Mordecai there at the king's gate, with that as the setting, the, the proximity of the king. This is where the action is taking place in the book of Esther. But then we come to Esther chapter 6. And Esther chapter 6, in many ways, is the, the action chapter, the turning point chapter, the reversal chapter. However you want to phrase it, there are many different ways you can phrase it. This is where a whole lot happens with those first three words, on that night. On that night, as Mordecai mourns, as Haman plots, things begin to, to fall into place. Action begins to, to happen. The ball begins to roll. Now, you and I, from our outside perspective, we may have uh, an idea of who is perhaps hands are in this, whose hands are perhaps pulling the, the string on each and every one of these things. But as Mordecai said in chapter 4, who knows for certain? But when you read in chapter 6 that on that night the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigtha and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who had guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, well, well what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, well, nothing has been done for him. And coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, who knows, just about that time, Haman comes walking in to, to the inner court. And, and it is there Haman who goes to most likely have a conversation with the king about his plans to, to put Mordecai to death. And so the king asks Haman, well, what should be done to a man in whom the king delights to honor? And we just read there in the, the last chapter of how Haman is so puffed up, so ideal that, that who else, uh, the splendor of his riches, who else could, could the king delight Delight to honor in more than me. So when the king asks in verse 7, what, what shall be done? Haman answers in verse 8, Let the royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. Let the robes and the horse be handed over, and dress the man in whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man in whom the king delights to honor. And in verse 10, it says, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, 
who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Verse 11 says, So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done, in whom the man the king delights to honor. And it would make a whole lot of sense in our human way of thinking if verse 12 read something to, along the lines of, and Mordecai was so excited, so overjoyed that, that he finally had gotten this recognition that after these years of, of waiting, after these, these low points that he had gone through, he finally had this, this recognition. He finally was been given, uh, being celebrated. He finally was being, being given an ounce of thought, some attention for, for something that he had done. Us as a, a human level, we would understand if that is how the next line in verse 12 read. But what we are told there in verse 12 is that he didn't do any of those things. Because then Mordecai, after he has been paraded from the city, after he, this Jew who two chapters ago was in sackcloth and ashes, in the proximity of the king, but distant from the king, no doubt, that after he had put on his robes and his crown, he is riding the horse, being paraded through the same cities and streets, that Mordecai returned to the king's gate, or in the proximity of of the king. And I think there's that, that thread that I mentioned that, that takes place with all of these different action points in the telling of the story of Esther. You've got points in between, you've got low points, and no doubt what is sure a, a high point for one of the characters in the story of Esther. And so I just want to spend a, a moment looking at these threads, not only what these threads have to tell us about what we can take away from the story of Esther, but how these threads also point forward to the story of a different king in the New Testament and the story of your and my's lives today. Because it is here at the king's gate, it is here in the proximity of the king in the story of Esther that opportunities happen. That may seem like a, a really simple, really silly thing to, to have to state. In some ways it felt really silly to, to type out for the slide because how simple it is just to say that, that opportunities happen, decision points come, things occur in our lives. But there in the story of Esther, what we can, can pull out of that, one of the threads that we can pull out from the story of Esther, especially in those, those middle chapters of it, is that opportunities happen for those who are closer or in proximity of the king or find themselves like Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. In chapter 2, Mordecai becomes across that information because he is there at the, the king's gate with what to do about saving the life and the, the incoming threat for the king. Chapter 4, as we read, it is Esther who then has that, that opportunity. She's the one who has that, that information, that, that opportunity where she is in herself a, a unique place, perhaps for a time such as this, as, as Mordecai famously said. Opportunities happen in chapter 6 for, for Haman and for King Ahasuerus and, and for Mordecai also. To What are they going to do with the opportunities that they have, again, on a day-to-day on a -day or an everyday nature? But what we can, can pull out of that for, for those at the king's gate, for those in proximity of the king, opportunities happen. Moments happen where they have decisions to make. Those decisions, of course, not always good. Those decisions not always bad. Sometimes those decision points come at times where we, it seems that we are just sort of in between things. 
But then also that second thread that, that I think we can pull from, from these middle chapters in the story of Esther with this at the king's gate or in the proximity of the king as the setting is that growth occurs. Growth occurs on an individual level as just looking at Esther herself as a, as a character. The Esther of chapter 2 and chapter 3 is very different than the Esther that we read about in chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7 as you finish up the book of Esther. There's no doubt a, a level of growth, a level of courage that, that she comes into, a level of, of opportunity, of taking advantage of that, that moment that she has been given, the information that, that she has at, at her hand that, to, to decide of, of how she is going to choose, how she is going to live. She understands, no doubt, that, that there is a, a hesitancy that, that all in the kingdom have for those who want to, to approach the king, to be in not just the proximity, but the presence of the king. That's a, a serious thing that, that she takes place. And so the Esther of chapters 4, 5, and 6 is one that, that understands preparation, is one that understands uh, courage, that is one that understands the importance of, of, of growth uh, that takes. And then, no doubt, on a collective level, there's growth that occurs in the life of, of the Jews in Susa, the Jews in all of, of Persia. Because in chapter 4, as we read, that those who are in all the provinces of which the king uh, decreed, that they were too mourning, much like Mordecai, with sackcloth and ashes. But then you come to, to chapter 8, as was referenced Wednesday evening in our summer series. Chapter 8 of Esther, starting in verse 16. These Jews that just a, a little bit ago were in sackcloth and ashes, weeping and mourning and crying, these Jews of chapter 8, they had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict had reached, there was gladness and joy. What was empty for them is now full. There is a, a level of growth on a, a collective level that the Jews experienced because of decisions that were made, the action that happened with the opportunities in the, in the proximity of the king or what is taking place at the king's gate. That is the, the impetus behind really this, this whole narrative. And then thirdly, there is a, a saving aspect of this, this story. For those who are sitting at the king's gate, for those in proximity of the king, people are saved. Again, on an individual level with the king at the beginning, what we read in chapter 2, but then where we, we end and what you can continue reading on in the, the final two or three chapters of the book of Esther of how the Jews themselves are, are saved from this incoming threat, this incoming uh, destruction that is, that is on the horizon. Opportunities happen, growth occurs, and people are saved are the three threads that are no doubt important to, to just understanding the, the story of, of Esther, of all the action that is taking place at the king's gate or in the proximity of the king. But these threads also point forward, and they point forward to the New Testament. And I thought, what better way to, to go from reading this story and these threads of, of people who are Jews in a foreign land than to go to a book in the New Testament whose original audience was for the Jews. And that is the book of Matthew. If you've no doubt probably familiar with this line of thinking, I know we've spent a little bit of time with it in our building blocks class last month. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. We have a different king that is in the proximity of, of these verses. A different king who is, is talking. And so 
whereas we don't have a king with the specific quotes, specific text in the story of Esther, and all the action is taking place in his proximity but not in his presence, the New Testament there is a king who is speaking directly to his audience, speaking directly for those who are, are listening. Read with me, if you would, in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, as the king says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." And in many ways, these verses are a lot like the, the book of Esther. These are, are loaded verses. There are a whole lot of different ways you can, can go with these verses, a whole lot of different aspects of it you can, can focus in on. Uh, but for the purposes of the time, I just want to look at those same three threads that we just pulled from the book of Esther. Threads of opportunity, threads of growth, and threads of, of a saving nature. Right here in these verses of direct quotation from this King Jesus who is talking in Matthew chapter 11. This opportunity comes here in, in these verses by this invitation to, to trust Jesus is. Whereas the, the action was taking place uh, in the proximity of the king or at the king's gate with the king at a distance in the story of Esther, a much different picture is painted here in those first three words of, of Matthew 11 verse 28. It says, come to me, an invitation for us to, to trust Jesus, that welcoming, that welcoming nature that he is. Jesus is telling those who are listening, don't just take somebody else's word for it. Don't just take uh, what somebody else has to say about me. Come to me. Come to me on an individual level. My arms are open. I am I'm gentle and, and lowly in heart. I am I'm welcoming you. I want you to, if you are looking to, to find who this king is, what he does, how he loves Come to me, look to me as the example, and I can, I can show it to you. And we have, when we accept and, and take advantage of those different moments in, in our lives, the different opportunities that, that come our way to, to trust in this Jesus, it's not always easy. Sometimes those moments come at, at low points. Sometimes they come at high points. Sometimes they come at, at points in between. But no doubt we have day after day opportunities. We have every day opportunities where we can, can take advantage of, of this, this invitation. We can accept this invitation to, to trust in Jesus, to take advantage of this opportunity uh, to, to not just be in proximity of the king, but to, to come to the king. The second point there, we are, are rooted in him. Knowing that, that we are rooted in him emphasizes this, this thread of, of growth, the very nature of those who are coming to him who, are, who labor and are, are heavy laden, and he is the one who offers rest. The very nature of being laden with something heavy is that it, it presses down on us. It makes it, it difficult to carry. The, the weight sometimes is, is really difficult for us to, to go through. Those, no doubt, may come at those, those low moments more so than, than the high points of our lives. So when we trust, when we know, we take advantage of, of those day-to-day -day opportunities to, to go to the king, to interact with the king, to, to go specifically to him, to read from his word, to communicate with him, that's when, that's when the growth comes. That is how we, we grow specifically. You and I know that and how we interact with, with people on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm a little bit younger, so my frame of reference would be 
uh, more so with a, a person from high school. And so somebody who I used to spend a whole lot of time with in high school, I would spend day after day with them. I would know just about everything about them, know what they were doing. We would be in constant communication. Uh, we would be very familiar with what was going on in each other's lives. Uh, time has passed. We are no longer have that same level of, of interaction. We no longer have that same level of of communication. And so from a relational standpoint, from a standpoint that you and I share with, with people that we interact with on a, a day-to-day lives, we easily understand that somebody who we are not going to constantly, somebody we are not actively investing time in, actively investing conversation in, communicating with, that we are not actively uh, putting in effort or, or time or focus on them, well, that relationship is not going to not going to hold much weight if we don't give time and, and investments and, 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 and take advantage of those opportunities to, to grow closer to him, to accept that open invitation to, to trust in Jesus and, and who he is and, and what he does. And I know sometimes, when we, especially when we are looking at the, the story of Esther, we get really caught up in the how does this all, how does this puzzle piece directly fit in? How do these things all all fit together? Is this the, the moment for which I have been uniquely put in this position? And is it this series of dominoes that has all been, been put into line? And I think sometimes we get so caught up in that that in many ways it, it can, can freeze us, it can, can make us uneasy. We're not exactly sure with, with how this all makes sense or how everything goes together. And so sometimes we do nothing about it. Other times we, we go to the king's gate or we get closer and, and grow closer to the king. And I think rooted within that, that story, rooted within that opportunity, rooted within that growth is understanding that sometimes I just need to let God be God and let him handle the specifics and for me to just do the best I can, whether I'm at a, a high point, a low point, or at a moment in between, that I can just take advantages of those opportunities on a, a day-to-day level and, and get to know him. And then thirdly, that thread of, of saving, that thread of being saved. You can clearly see his love, this gift of rest that he offers those who, who listen to them, who, who trust in him, who, who follow him. He is the one that, that gives that love, that rest for, for our souls. There's that incredible, incredible saving nature that these verses show us. This rest is eternal. It is not temporary. It is not, not fleeting. And most importantly, unlike the story of Esther with the, the king and, and how those people were saved, this saving grace is not just for a specific tribe, not just for a specific sect of people, not just for a certain group of people who fit this minute criteria. As this King Jesus, who is talking, says, Come to me all. This rest, this, this saving nature, this love is available to to all who, who listen, to all who accept him, to all who follow his ways, who are immersed in the waters of baptism, who, who love him and who live for him. And I think maybe I needed these reminders more so than, than you all might need them, and that's maybe why I've spent more time in the book of Esther over the past three to four years than probably any other book of the Bible. And so when you can, can find those threads in it, you can point them forward to not just what the New Testament says, not what just this King Jesus has to say, but able to, to put them and interact them and, and put them into our lives, how they can help us grow, how they can help us act in, in our lives as we start this new week. I think that's something that's incredibly helpful, incredibly powerful, incredibly 
uh, important threads to, to pull forward. Now, I did say this was a, a lesson and a message for the sheep, so I feel like we should, should end there where we were this morning in John chapter 10. And looking at three verses from John chapter 10, knowing all the, the threats that, that are around for the sheep, for the fold, the, the hired hands, the, the strange people that are out there who are, are seeking to devour, the lion who is seeking to devour us as sheep, and, and what can we take away, what can we learn when we look at John chapter 10, the verses in John chapter 10 that we spent a good amount of time this morning, that we've spent a good amount of time this month looking at. What can we as sheep learn when we are looking at it from this perspective, from going to the king's gate or being in the proximity of the king? What what actions, what opportunity, what growth occurs, how we are saved when we will look at these verses from, from that point of view? So John chapter 10 Verses 2 through 4. It says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That gate, that distant king of Esther, We are told here, not just in the Matthew's gospel account and in John's gospel account, that that king is no longer so distant. That king is not just in the shadows. We are no longer just in the the proximity of the king, but that we are in the presence of the king. And what a wonderful thought for us as sheep that, that we can enter by that door who is the shepherd. And that gate is not locked. We don't have to sit outside wondering how we can get closer to the sheep, but that gate is opened, and the shepherd knows us, and we know him, and we can, can know his voice, and we follow him, and we live for him, and we follow his lead with the different opportunities, with the different situations, the different moments in life that, that we come across, whatever we may be facing at that time. An incredibly powerful thread that what started in, in what you may consider to be an overlooked verse in the book of Esther of sitting at the king's gate, you can, can pull forward for us as New Testament Christians today that we no longer have to, to just know this king or have action around our lives with a king at a distance, but rather, sitting from, rather than sitting at the king's gate, that we are able to sit at the king's feet. An incredibly powerful thread that, that God is with us just as Jason opened with that psalm this, this evening. A wonderful thought for us. I appreciate your attention. I appreciate you listening. If there is any way that, that we can be a help to you this week, that you can, can, we can help you get to know this Jesus a little bit better, this King Jesus, this Shepherd Jesus, however we can help you in your relationship with him. Perhaps you were once close to him, you've gotten a, a little bit distant, you're finding yourself getting further and further away from Jesus, not taking advantage of, of some of those opportunities. You've become stagnant instead of growing. We'd love to, to offer you an opportunity to talk with you. We'd love to, to help make that relationship with you and Jesus better. And then if you're ready for, for you to accept Jesus as your king, for you to, to follow his lead, for you as a, a wandering sheep to, to come back into the fold, to be baptized in the, the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins, we give that, that opportunity for you now. Great time such as this. We can help you in any way. We ask you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.